Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 15. And Mark chapter 15, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 20. Like, like I said this morning, it is really only one sermon. One sermon spread over two services, so I, I can guarantee you that is shorter than normal. And this evening it is Mark chapter 15, 1 to 20, as we march now towards Good Friday towards the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, reading from verse 1. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison, who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. They clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. Mocked, beaten, and humiliated, Jesus is a majestic king. Like I said this morning, that is what we're going to look at this evening. That is the only point I have this evening. I'm giving it to you right up front, straight away. Mocked, beaten and humiliated. Jesus is a majestic king. Take in what the Lord Jesus says in chapter 15 verse 2. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, you have said so. Jesus is 
a majestic king. This has been a royal procession to his throne. Do you remember the disciples who asked, when you come into your kingdom, can we be on your right and your left? And Jesus, what does he say to them? You do not know what you are asking for. For when Jesus comes to his throne, who will be on his right and his left? Two thieves crucified on either side. This is the Lord's royal procession to his throne. I haven't ever been involved in a royal event. But they tell me that things work like clockwork. The only things that happen in a royal event are the ones that the monarch allows to happen. People stand exactly where they are meant to stand. They come in this door at exactly the time they are meant to come in. The monarch is in complete control. That is the picture that Mark is giving us here. It's what we're meant to see as Jesus stands before these mock trials. As he stands before people who think they have so much power. No, Jesus is in complete control command. His control is total. His power is not broken. His will is never overruled. He is in charge. He reigns. And nothing, not not Peter's denial, not the high priest's fury, not the soldier's brutality, not Pilate's cowardice, absolutely nothing can stop Jesus from reigning. He is the king. Friends, you and I need that truth this evening as much as you need anything at all in the world. There is nothing unfolding in your life right now over which the Lord Jesus is not completely in charge. And it's a useful exercise when you hear that to to find the one thing or maybe several things that are causing you to feel the ground move beneath your feet that is unsettling you or upsetting you. And to, to hear what Mark is saying again, there is nothing unfolding in your life over which Jesus is not completely in charge. No one has said or done anything to you which Jesus does not know about. There is nothing, absolutely nothing in your life over which he is not in control. And we need a king like him. He knows how we feel. He knows and has the wisdom we do not have. He knows the direction we lack. And he is in charge. There is nothing coming to you tomorrow or Tuesday or September this year which he has not planned or decreed and lovingly laid out for you as the path of your life. Nothing. Your greatest fear for the future is something that Jesus holds in the palm of his hand. Just as he holds you and he says to us as we live in a world which so often does not make sense, a world that can bruise and break and shatter, Mark says, can you hear Jesus saying to the world, can you see that I am king? Can you see that as men did their worst, I was the one in charge? Can you see that I hold the future, that I hold you? If if death itself could not destroy me, If Satan and all the hosts of darkness could not deflect me, what do you have which I cannot command? I need a king like this this evening. You need a king like this. But, says Mark, but, says Mark, that is not all you need. You need a suffering victim like this too. 
Not just a king we need. We need a suffering victim like this as well. Because here is the big question Mark's narrative asks. If Jesus is the reigning king, if if he is the one always in control, saying to his disciples, you don't know what you're asking for, saying to Peter, you're going to deny me, staying silent when he could speak. If he is the one ruling and reigning, why submit himself to all of this? Why go through with it? Why allow himself to be killed? The answer is because you and I do not just need a king. We need a saviour. We do not simply need a lion. We need a lamb. Your greatest need this evening is not to have your fears comforted, but to have your sins forgiven. My greatest need is not to have my future mapped out and directed and everything in place and in order the way I would like it to. My greatest need is to have my past wiped clean and forgotten. And so we need Jesus our victim as much as we need Jesus our victor. We need a substitute, not simply a sympathiser. It's very important to be clear on that and to understand it, is it? A substitute, not just a sympathiser. Jesus does not just sympathise with us in our weaknesses. He does that, yes. But he substitutes for us in our sins. You know what that's like, don't we? In everyday life, you you injure yourself, you're hurt, you're sore, you're upset. And a friend sympathises with you. They put their arm around your shoulder and it's wonderful. But they have not substituted for you. Your sorrows, your injury, your pain is still yours. They sympathise with you, yes, but then they leave and you carry it alone. Oh, we need so much more than sympathy, don't we? We need a substitute. There is a deep significance here to these verses. I want to just lead us into them very briefly this evening. A, A deep significance that we can tend to move over quite quickly. Because Mark is showing us here the the precise ways in which Jesus takes our place. And he does it in all the horrific details of the story. Right down to the way that we experience sin. That is what Jesus enters. Just look at verse 16. The soldiers led him away inside the palace. That is the governor's headquarters. They called together the whole battalion. They clothed him in a purple cloak. Twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. They led him out to crucify him. I read to you this morning a little bit from The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, the depiction of Aslan's death. Here's the next bit. Stop, said the witch. Let him first be shaved. Another roar of mean laughter went up from her followers as an ogre with a pair of shears came forward and squatted down by Aslan's head. Snip, snip, snip went the shears and masses of curling gold began to fall to the ground. Then the ogre stood back and the children watching from their hiding place could see the face of Aslan looking all small and different without its mane. The enemies also saw the difference. Why, he's only a great cat after all, cried one. Is that what we were afraid of, said another. 
Friends, what happens here in those verses I just read again in Mark is we, we see in extreme form what it means for the king of the universe to not be taken seriously. For the soldiers, Jesus is only fit for a play, isn't he? A stage play. Verses 16 to 20, they are treating Jesus like a theatre puppet, like a carnival king. A mock robe, a reed scepter, a crown of thorns. This crown of thorns would have been large six-inch briars that were crudely wrapped together into a circle and shoved down onto his head. He is made to look like a carnival animal, a theatrical figure performing a part. I think we can each imagine, can't we, what it would be like to be, to be stripped of our clothes in public. In public nakedness would be shameful. But just as humiliating as that is being made to wear clothes that are not of your choosing in public. Isn't that right? Somebody else gives you something to wear that you did not choose and parades you in it. To, to wear garments that arise derision and jeering. That is what is happening here, Mark is saying. Do you see, Jesus is not just dying. The soldiers are heaping shame upon shame upon him. He is humiliated. He looks ludicrous. He looks stupid. The royal one becomes a caricature of royalty. Spat upon. It's not just disgusting. It is humiliating, isn't it? Gobs of saliva that are meant for the ground showered on another human being it is a way of degrading them isn't it just think what Jesus would have looked like at the end of those verses just imagine him Isaiah chapter 52 his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man his form marred beyond human likeness that, that, that phrase, his, his form marred beyond human likeness, it, it doesn't mean that Jesus was more disfigured than any other men have been in violence, for some men have suffered more horrifically violent deaths. Now, it's not that he was more disfigured than other men, it's that the disfigurement he experienced was so great he no longer looked like a man. Alec Mateer, the commentator on Isaiah 52, he says, it's as if the soldiers are stepping back and looking at their work and they say to themselves, is this thing human? Why? Why the details here? What, what is happening? What, why, why this particular way of things unfolding? It is, friends, because Mark wants us to see Jesus not simply going to the cross as the king who is in charge but also going to the cross as the saviour who bears our shame. He was pierced for our transgressions, yes. He was crushed for our iniquities, yes. But so too he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. That's why Jesus allows himself to be treated in this way. That's why he's dying this way. He dies a death for sin, to bear the punishment for sin, yes. But he also suffers in total disgrace to bear the shame of sin. The disgrace of sin. It's really important to understand that distinction. Death, death is the punishment for the guilt of our sin. But shame and disgrace are the punishment for the contamination of our sin. And Jesus enters both of those things. Not just bearing guilt 
but bearing shame. The contamination of our sin is heaped upon him. Friends, you know, I know that there are things in our past which, were they to be known by others, would cause us to burn red with shame, wouldn't they? We all know that. We all have that. And that that shame that we have comes from the sinners that we are. Comes from the sins that we do. And all of those things mean we cannot approach God and lift up our heads in his presence. We are separated from him by everything that makes him different from us. He is perfect and spotless and pure and holy and we are guilty and impure. We know that we are not the people we would like to be, quite apart from being the people that God made us to be. And so when we feel that, friends, what do we do with our shame? Not just our guilt, objective guilt, but subjective shame, that emotional feeling that makes us want to shrink back and hide. Mark says, if you seek only a king, only a king, then you have no hope. Just a king, then we are lost. Friends, do you see that Jesus is a certain kind of king? He reigns as a suffering victim as he stands in a crown of thorns and purple robe. As the king, he bears my shame, your shame. It means he is carrying it now, not you. He allows himself to be humiliated, mocked, despised, shamed, so that there is nothing about you which now deserves those things. An astonishing thing. Your worst sin, your greatest guilt, your deepest shame is worn by him, the king of the universe. Exchanging a crown of glory and honour to wear a crown of thorns. He was shamed so that you need never be. It's what we sing together, isn't it? In my place, condemned he stood. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a saviour. And friends, that idea that Jesus is bearing something for us, that is why you have woven into the story, we have this character of Barabbas. Isn't that an astonishing part of the story? Verses 6 down to 15, Pilate, which one do you want me to release for you? That's why Barabbas is here in the narrative. I love how one theologian imagines this. Listen to these words. Here's, here's one theologian imagining this. The yelling of the crowds grew ever louder. Barabbas couldn't hear everything, but the few phrases he did manage to pick out froze his blood. We want Barabbas. Crucify him. Crucify him. This is it, he thought to himself. Not long now and it will all be over. There were footsteps approaching outside in the corridor. Barabbas felt his stomach muscles tense involuntarily and all of a sudden nausea overwhelmed him as the bolts of the cell door were drawn back. As the door opened, he muttered a quick prayer under his breath. Old habits die hard. But what happened next took several minutes to sink in. Surely there must be some mistake. He repeated the guard's words to himself. All right, Barabbas, you can go. You're a free man. Don't ask me why, but they're going to crucify Jesus of Nazareth instead of you. See what Barabbas is doing here in the story for us? Mark is saying to us, all of this is because 
the very heart of the gospel is a swap. Somebody steps in to take all that is due to us, all that has been heaped upon us, that we have, that we have contributed to the world in all its brokenness. Somebody, what did we see this morning? Somebody innocent steps in to take it. Despite what it seems, the victim who is crushed is the king who is in control. Despite what it seems, friends, the shame that seems to linger in your life and my life is the shame that he bore. Do you know if the Lord Jesus is throne, we're only a royal throne, like the kind of royal throne you expect. Go to London, do the tours of all the palaces. You know and I know there are places you do not get to enter. There are seats you do not get to sit on. Or if his throne were only a royal throne, you would not be able to approach it. If his only crown was the brightness of eternal glory, we would be consumed. Ah, says Mark, but because his throne is also a cross, because his crown is also a crown of thorns, then that, that awful throne is clothed with a new name, the throne of grace. And here there is no need to fear, nothing to fear at all. Amen.